Hi, this is Steve Shepard, and I want to welcome you to the 200th episode of the Natural Curiosity Project. Amazing. On November 18th of 2018, with an awful lot of trepidation, I published the very first episode of this podcast. It was called Introduction, clever name for a first episode, don't you think? And it introduced the concept of a bio-blitz, an activity in which kids, their parents, and scientists gather in a particular place. The one I talked about was in Vermont's capital, Montpelier, and for a 24-hour period, they do their darndest to identify every single living species in the area they selected, in that case, the North Branch Nature Center. It was great fun and actually yielded several new species. But the BioBlitz wasn't the subject of the episode. It was just to set the stage for what I planned to talk about across what would be the many episodes of the Natural Curiosity Project. Here's what I said. Here's what I hope to accomplish with this podcast and why I hope you'll be a regular visitor. Basically, I want it to be the podcast equivalent of a bio blitz. But I won't just focus on biology. We're going to talk about whatever comes along that's interesting and fun. I've been a citizen scientist since I was eight years old. No matter where we lived, I chased lizards, frogs, snakes, weird-looking insects, birds, and whatever mammal wandered my way. I collected rocks and leaves and feathers, wood samples, seashells, butterflies, and soil. I looked at things through a cheap little microscope and marveled at what came into focus, wiggling under the lens. With my dissecting kit, I disassembled whatever dead thing I could get my hands on. I was a naturalist before there was such a thing. My bedroom was always full of critters in jars and cages. My mom was a saint. I was also, still am actually, a voracious reader. I read about 140 books a year. My friends and I read Hardy Boys and Tom Swift and Doc Savage. We devoured H.G. Wells and Jules Verne. We loved Boys Life magazine, and when we got haircuts, we dove into Field and Stream and Argosy. From those books and from my outdoor adventures, I discovered the wonder of the world. I became curious, always looking for something new to learn. So that's my story. I'm a curious person. I've learned over the years that curiosity leads to knowledge, and knowledge is the sworn enemy of ignorance. The fact is, I believe. Such a powerful statement and not one to be wielded lightly. It's who I am, but perhaps more importantly, it's why I am. I believe that education and awareness and knowledge and wisdom matter because those are the forces that push back the darkness of ignorance. They're the parents of curiosity, the engine that drives and ultimately creates an informed, intelligent, analytical, effective human being. It saddens me that we've become a nation of extremes with a complete loss of reasonable and rational public discourse. When I was a kid growing up in Madrid, there were clubs, bars really, where college professors and intellectuals would mingle with laborers and chefs and anyone who'd come together with something to say. It was called a tertulia. They'd pick a topic and then they'd argue it to death over a beer or a brandy or a small glass of wine, loudly and fiercely, but always with respect for the other person's opinion. That's important because they listened to what the other person had to say, whether they agreed with them or not. They listened because there was always the chance that they might learn something and, yes, maybe have their mind changed by the other person. Today, instead of political parties that behave like Spanish tertulias, debating big ideas, arguing fiercely but respectfully about messy national challenges, working to make things better, always willing to consider an alternate opinion, our politicians behave like street gangs, bloods and crips, sharks and jets. This is our territory. That's yours. I'm 100% right, 
you're 100% not. Instead of trying to move forward, they actively encourage entrenchment in the status quo, and the result is stalemate and paralysis and inertia and systemic discord. Here's the deal. In spite of what you may have heard or read or been pounded by on social media, here's what we absolutely know. Vaccines do work. The earth is not flat. Climate change and global warming really are happening regardless of how cold it is in the winter. We have actually been to the moon numerous times, and there really are Earth-controlled robots wandering the surface of Mars. And those white plumes that high-flying jets create, those aren't chemical trails designed by some dark government agency to make you sick as part of some weird experiment. This is science, and the nice thing about science is that it's true, whether people believe it or not. And that's why I started this podcast. Too many people don't believe And that's sad because they're missing out on the opportunity to be awed and amazed and inspired by things that are all around us. So here we are, almost five years later, and not much has changed, at least not politically. Despite the regime change in Washington, the two parties remain pretty much deadlocked, and neither of them resembles the parties I've known my whole life. It's interesting that I mentioned vaccines back in 2018, even though that was two years before anyone had ever heard of coronavirus or COVID or the inconceivable idea that we were on the verge of going into a two-year pandemic lockdown. Since that first episode, I've ranged all over the landscape in this program doing what I promised to do. I've talked about Burma-shaped signs, and I interviewed a guy who ties messages to tumbleweeds in Texas asking people to tell him where they found the note so that he could determine how far the tumbleweed had traveled since he released it. I've interviewed biologists, wildlife sound recordists, politicians, storytellers, engineers, poets, and philosophers. I sat down with my best friend from high school, Bob Verlack, a successful actor, and had him walk us through the fine art of reading movie credits. I've researched frogs, fungi, language, a whole range of different technologies, cattle drives, spices, colors, and cybersecurity. The only thing that ties the episodes together is that every one of them is about a topic that people should be curious about. Now, I'll be the first to admit that this program isn't exciting and dramatic like Serial or This American Life or Joe Rogan. And frankly, it isn't supposed to be. That's not why I do it. Perhaps the fact that I grew up in Spain made me a bit quixotic, a word derived from the antics of Don Quixote de la Mancha, who, with his sidekick Sancho Panza, set out to restore civility to the world through chivalry. In the book, Don Quixote imagines himself to be fighting evil giants, when in fact he's attacking the gigantic windmills that to this day dot the hills south of Madrid. As they crest a hill, Don Quixote points into the distance and says to Sancho, Fortune is guiding our affairs better than we ourselves could have wished. Do you see over yonder, friend Sancho, thirty or forty hulking giants? I intend to do battle with them and slay them. With their spoils we shall begin to be rich, for this is a righteous war, and the removal of so foul a brood from off the face of the earth is a service that God will bless. Well, Sancho's confused, because, of course, all he sees are windmills. What giants, he asks. Those you see over there, replied Quixote, with their long arms. Some of them have arms well nigh two leagues in length. Take care, sir, says Sancho. Those over there are not giants, but windmills. 
Those things that seem to be their arms are sails which, when they are whirled around by the wind, turn the millstone. Don Quixote, of course, engages the giants and is soundly beaten by the spinning blades. That doesn't stop him from engaging with the challenges that he's presented with throughout the magnificent book. Anyway, I feel a little bit like him sometimes. If you've been a regular or even occasional listener to the program, you know that I'm a knowledge junkie. I believe that knowledge is absolutely power and that curiosity is a sort of superpower because curiosity is the catalyst for the acquisition of knowledge. I believe that an informed populace makes good decisions and that a curious person will always go out of their way to question things that don't ring true, things that don't, as some like to say, pass the sniff test. There's an awful lot of that out there, and I strongly believe that we owe it to our children and to their children to inoculate ourselves against, dare I say it, bullshit. Sorry, but I can't think of a better word to catch your attention. The mechanisms for widely sharing disinformation, falsehoods, fake news, whatever you want to call it, are everywhere, most of them falling under the poorly named social media model. There's very little social about those services. Do you know what social means? It means needing companionship and therefore best suited to living in communities. And relating to or designed for activities in which people meet each other for pleasure. There's increasingly little about social media apps that creates community. Instead, they create tribes, as I discussed with Russ Willis in Program 150. And pleasure? Countless studies have been done that conclusively show the damage that spending too much time on these services cause. Anger, anxiety, a sense of disconnection, and so on. Don't take my word for it. Get out there and do a little research. So, In response, I decided to tilt at my own windmills by creating a natural curiosity project, a place where I could use my own curiosity to dig up interesting topics and themes that I could then research and share whatever I find with my listeners. I like to think I've done that, and while I don't enjoy the millions of subscribers that This American Life enjoys, I have more than I bargained for. But this isn't about numbers. It's about minds. Once a week or so, I get an email message from a student thanking me for giving them the topic of their next paper or for introducing them to a field they didn't know existed, or a query from a teacher or a professor asking if it would be okay for them to incorporate my program into their lesson plan. When those messages arrive, I smile and keep going. Look, I'm not trying to change anybody's mind. I'm just trying to fill them up with intriguing bits of knowledge and spark a flame of interest and curiosity. If I can do that, then all this time and effort is more than worthwhile. It's why I still believe that curiosity leads to discovery, discovery leads to knowledge, knowledge leads to insight, and insight leads to understanding. If there's one thing we need in this world right now, it's insight and understanding. So to you, thank you for listening. May I ask you for a favor, please? It's really important. Would you please go to the Apple podcast site for the program or wherever you get your programs and just write a short review. You probably have no idea how important it is, but trust me, it is. I would be eternally grateful if you'd take a minute or two and do that. Reviews have an immense impact on podcasts. And the second thing, please keep sending me your ideas about topics to cover. 200 episodes. Who knew that was possible? But if you keep listening, I'll keep producing. Thank you again. For the Natural Curiosity Project, I'm Steve Shepard. Cheers. And again, thank you so much for listening. 
Hey, thanks for dropping by. I'm Steve Shepard, the host of the Natural Curiosity Project, where we're committed to the idea that curiosity leads to discovery, discovery leads to knowledge, knowledge leads to insight, and insight leads to understanding. In every episode, we explore some topic that piqued our curiosity enough to make us want to share it with you. I hope you enjoy the journey. And if you did, I'd appreciate it if you'd leave a comment over at iTunes or SoundCloud, wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you very much. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.